chapter number five, once again, if you would. John chapter number five. And we have been looking at Christ's declaration of seven proofs of his deity or seven proofs that he is equal with God or we have been saying equal with the Father. And I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, beginning in verse number 17 down through 27, contains these seven proofs of Christ's deity or his equality with God. Now, our confession of faith that we stand on declares that truth, declares that Jesus Christ is God. Uh, that is vitally important in the life of a church, that a church takes a stand that believes that Jesus Christ is equal with the Father. And remember, this has all been in the context of John chapter number 5 of the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. All of that context matters because we understand that what Jesus is declaring is he's declaring something in the midst of what appeared to be a hopeless situation. And we see here, as Jesus, over the last couple of weeks, we have looked at these proofs that he began to give. We saw the first proof is that he was equal with the Father in redemption and service. That was verses 16 through 18. Last week in verse number 19, we looked at Christ is equal with the Father in his will and purpose as well. And today, we're going to look at being equal with the Father in knowledge. Look at John chapter number 5, verse number 20. The Bible says, For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. Let me paint this picture for just a moment. Here you have Jesus declaring that the Father loves the Son. Again, Jesus is speaking of himself. He is declaring that his Father, who he is equal with, who he is equal with in redemption and service, in will and purpose, as we looked at over the last two weeks, is declaring that this same Father loves him. And as a result of his love, the Bible says, he shows him all things that himself doeth. In other words, this connection between Jesus Christ and the Father, there is a connection of love. And because of this love, God the Father shows all things unto the Son. Now immediately, our, our minds that are not infinite, they have a finite capability, begin to question, if Jesus is equal with the Father, why does the Father have to show him anything? That's what our carnal mind says. If they're equal, then why does God the Father have to show him? Notice what it says. And showeth him all things that himself doeth. Here we see this limited understanding of where we fully understand what God is talking about here. Why does Christ, the Son of God, need to be shown? The only illustration I could think of is when we instruct our children. Our children have things that they are not born knowing how to do. Somebody showed them how to do it. Someone either took the instructions and showed them how to read the instructions, or they physically showed them how to do whatever it is the task at hand was. Why do we show that child that? Now, I'm not using this term in a derogatory fashion because it's not derogatory. We show a child because a child is ignorant. Ignorant does not mean unintelligent, doesn't mean stupid. It means they're uninformed. 
It means they don't have the knowledge to do it. In other words, there are things I could put in front of a child and I could say, I want you to complete this task. And that child would say, how can I unless you show me? This is not the same concept that's being said here. Jesus is not saying, I need God to teach me something. I need God the Father to show me something. But it is our human mind that takes us to that place and we say, wait a minute, this means there's a limitation in Christ. And we looked at the limitation, a supposed limitation last week, but we acknowledge that that was only a supposed limitation. Christ is not restricted. Christ is not limited. When we show a child how to do something, we're showing them something that they do not know. If a person stops and asks for directions, which men don't do, right? If they were to stop and ask for directions, why are they asking for directions? Well, there's a lot of humorous things I could say, but we won't say it today. They're asking because they don't know. They're asking because they need to be shown the right way. Again, our human mind thinks if God the Father has to show Christ the Son something, that that means Christ is limited in his knowledge, and that is not what Jesus is teaching here. He's not teaching that he is limited. What seems to be a limit in Christ's knowledge, again, is only going to bring out the reality of the matchless, incomparable glory of Christ. We see it as a limitation. We see it in our human mind. Christ must have a limit. Christ must have something that prevents him from knowing. Actually, this declares that he is in perfect knowledge. Look again at verse 20. For the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. Hear this opening word, the simple word for. The word for declares a connection. It's a close connection. It is a connection between this verse and the verse preceding it. The verse preceding it was verse 19, which we read last week. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Remember, we looked and we dispelled that 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 supposition that Christ was limited. No, we saw that that only pulled out his glory. It's not a limitation. It's not a restriction. This word for gives us the whole context of what's happening here. It tells us here our Lord is still declaring proof that because God the Father, I know all things that the Father does. That's, that's something that nobody in humanity can claim that. You and I today cannot claim, I know all that God does. I know the, all that the Father does. So what appears to be a limitation is not a limitation. It actually declares perfect knowledge. Jesus himself is, is declaring, I know all things the Father knows. Well, guess what today? None of you, including myself, can make that statement today. I cannot say, I know all that the Father knows. Now, I, you, you might argue and you say, well, we have the Bible, don't we? This is not all that God knows. This is all that God has declared that we need to know. That's why we don't have to go outside the bounds of Scripture to find out, I need to know more about God. And there's a fascination today. People want to go outside of the Scripture to find more about God. God's already revealed everything we need to know about Him in the Bible. But that's not all there is to know. 
So if a person as a mere human says to you, I have a perfect knowledge of God, they lie. Now they may be able to say, I know all that God has revealed to me, and I would still say they're lying. I've never met a a Bible student who is that advanced, who has conquered this book. You know, there are people who work trades, and I appreciate that. I appreciate becoming a master in whatever that trade is. But even a good master of a trade will tell you there's always something more to learn. Just because they get the title of mastered and they have a, now have an apprentice does not mean they say, now because I'm being instructing to you as my apprentice, I have arrived, I know it all. No, that's sadly, that's a prideful spirit that will never lead to anything good at all. But Christ is not being prideful here. He is saying, I, what the Father knows, I know. What he has perfect knowledge of, I have perfect knowledge of. Remember, keep the context of what's going on. Why does Jesus say he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel? Greater works than what? Keep that phrase in mind in a moment. We'll come back to that. This statement here really applies to Christ as being clothed in his humanity. He took on this robe of human flesh, but he's still beloved by the Father. That connection of love, for the Father loveth the Son. Because of the love for the Father and the Son, he has been shown all things. These aren't things to be shown later as a a child who doesn't know or as a traveler who doesn't know directions. It is a result of the connection between God the Father and God the Son. It's a declaration of God's Christ's equality with the Father. What is more is we know here that this title, the Son, that title, for the Father loveth the Son, the Son declares that he is distinguished from all the angels and from all humanity. When you refer to Christ as the Son, you are declaring him to be something that is superior to the angels superior to man. This is what Christ is declaring. What we know by this title, the Son, or the Son of God, the Son of Man, these titles, we see that Christ is beloved of the Father. That's why Matthew 3, 17 tells us, God the Father says, this is my beloved Son. So what we know about Christ is that Christ was, was chosen and the whole love of God dwells in Christ. Okay, so when I think about what is God's love, I only have to look to Christ. For someone to describe what is God's love, how would you define it? How would you accurately describe it? You look to Christ. This title that the love of Christ, the love of God dwells in Christ That love that flows from God the Father to God the Son flows from the Son to you and I who are His children. The same love the Father has for the Son is the same love that flows through Christ to us. When we think about the reality of Christ being loved by the Father, we also know that the Bible teaches us that Christ is not just loved by the Father, but He's also declared to be the head of the church. Christ is our all in all. 
Now hold your place here in John. We're going to come back here in a moment, but I want to draw your attention to Hebrews chapter number one for a few moments here. And if the Lord sees fit to park us here for a little while, then we'll park here. But I want us to get the full context of what for God loveth the Son, or for the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things. I want you to read that and think about that in the context of what Hebrews declares. Hebrews 1 tells us in verse 1, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. You can see there's a, this is all referencing to Christ and who he is. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom." Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall all perish. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies my, thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Hebrews declares Christ as the exalted one. I took us to Hebrews 1 because I want us to understand that there is no way, shape, and form that the Bible ever teaches that God the Father or God the Son, that Christ is somehow lesser. Okay? He's not lesser. You say, wait a minute, what about the verses that say, I must do my Father's will? That does not indicate that He is less. There is still equality. That is still God the Son is equal with God the Father. And it's important that we understand these truths because when we think about these, if we just let our human minds look at these passages, we begin to place doubt in our own mind. Folks, let the Word of God set your foundation as to what you believe, not your human intellect. Nothing has gotten people in more trouble than letting their own intellect determine their biblical doctrine. This is not like studying for an exam. This is not like taking a huge final over material that you've studied for an entire semester. The knowledge that comes from this does not come from simply your human intellect. It is the result of the gift of faith. Our faith is strengthened and encouraged by reading the Word of God. If I want to know God's mind, I read the Word of God. 
But I also need to understand that I don't let my human intellect, if something doesn't line up scripturally, then it can't be. Y'all know what I'm saying? If God the Father has to show Christ the Son as a parent teaches a child or as a person gives driving instructions to a driver, that makes Jesus Christ less than God and that makes the Bible a sham. Human intellect wants to see the limitations in God. Human, human intellect wants to see Christ must be limited. Christ is not limited. He is equal with the Father in knowledge. And up to this point, we've seen a redemption in service and will and purpose, and now today in knowledge. So let's look at this phrase and show with him all things. Again, what is the cause? The cause why the Father does all things by his own hand is out of love for the Son. You see the connection here. The Father loveth the Son and the love of the Father results in showing. Again, not showing as someone who is ignorant. But when it says the Father showeth to him, the word is understood communion. It's fellowship. What it means is God the Father has communion or direct fellowship with the Son. What God knows, God the Father knows, Christ the Son knows. It's not a word of ignorance, it's a word of communion, it's a word of fellowship. He shows him all things. Again, that is not a limitation. That shows us that he has something that you and I don't know because you and I today cannot say that God the Father has shown us all things. We don't know it all. You know, people have often said, that when we get to glory, we're going to know it all. I'm not sure. Maybe. It says we're going to be like him. We're going to see him as he is. I know one thing's for sure. Sin won't be present. But will we have a complete and utter knowledge the same way that Christ has with the Father? Nevertheless, Christ is declaring something here that only he can declare. This divine knowledge of the Father. Outside of Christ, you cannot know the Father. If you claim today, I know God the Father, but I don't know God the Son, you don't know God at all. Or if you say, I know God the Son, but I don't know God the Father, you don't know God at all. You say, wait a minute, preacher, did you just say everything is in Christ, but they are all co-equal. God the Son exists with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father exists with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit exists with God the Father and God the Son. We're not talking about a lesser or we're not talking about a, a lack of equality. Yet man wants to see the limitations of Christ instead of looking at what Christ is actually declaring here. We could say this, and this would be an accurate statement. It's not how the Bible words it, but the Father is not keeping anything from the Son. In other words, there's not a secret will of the Father that the Son doesn't know about. You say there's a lot of things that my human intellect's making me think, well, wait a minute, that's your human intellect. Because we have in our mind's eye, somehow, and in humanity, we have some kind of a pyramid shape where we've got God the Father sitting at one high level, and then we've got God the Son sitting here, and then we've got God the Holy Spirit sitting just below him. 
The Bible actually says that Christ the Son is at the right hand of the Father. It doesn't say he's lower. It doesn't say that he's less important or he's unequal. But here you have the Father loving the Son and shows him all things. This communion, this fellowship, they have all things in common. They have common possession of the same perfections. In other words, the attributes that God the Father has, the attributes God the Son has. There is an everlasting love of the Father towards the Son. How did God the Father manifest his love toward us? He sent his Son. In the 1130 hour, we're going to be looking at Romans 5.8, the most familiar of probably the whole book of Romans. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 is not about a possibility that you might be saved. Romans 5.8 is a declaration that you are saved. It's not God's made his salvation possible. No, rather it is God has promised us that those that are in Christ, if you're in Christ, you are in Christ through his love. God the Father, in these everlasting perfections, his love is manifested by the Father. God the Father shows love to the Son. The Son shows the love of the Father through himself and the shedding of his own blood. There is no restraint between them. There is equality. Now, remember what Jesus Christ had done. Christ had performed a miracle, and that's going to be important for where we're going with this. Christ had performed a miracle of what? He performed the miracle of healing a lame man, a person who couldn't walk. Humanly speaking, that's a great miracle, isn't it? If, if someone came in today and they were in a wheelchair and they left out of a wheelchair or they came in on crutches and they left without their crutches and they said, I have been healed, we would all praise God and we would say, what a miracle that is and what a great work that is. But yet the Bible says there's a greater work than that. There's a greater work than healing the physical body that's coming. What's better than healing something? What's better than making a person walk? Well, that's what he's going to get to here in just a moment. And remember, Christ is, remember the context. Jesus Christ, is, his ministry on earth is, is just begun. We have more knowledge. We have more scripture revelation than any person who was seated at that pool of Bethesda because we have a completed copy of the word of God. You realize today we have more knowledge and we know more about the Savior than, than they would have had any clue about. They couldn't go to the scripture and say, what happens next? But the Bible's not a book of just Bible stories about cool things that people of God did. Every event in the Bible had a purpose. Every healing had a purpose. Every type, every symbol, every sacrifice, everything had a purpose in mind. The knowledge of God. Christ is declared to be seeing all things and knowing all things. Look what it says. All things that himself doeth. Now, let's bring this down to a human level this morning. Who in this room today 
<coughs> is capable of understanding all the ways and all the workings of God. Nobody. The very fact that Jesus says he's going to show him all things that himself doeth. Do you know there are things that God the Father does that you and I would have no possibility of comprehending? Even if it was right in front of your face, we would not be able to comprehend it. Somehow we think, well, just show me and I'll get it. That's how limit, that's, a, that's the limited God you serve then. Because if I could say today that if you could just show me what the Father's doing, or you could show me what Christ is doing, then I will understand it. Folks, I can show you things in history that are happening today that if, if it was to point that it was the direct hand of God, we would stagger in our faith, we would stagger in our, in our we would find ourselves being doubters and disbelievers. Because we could say, how can this be of God? You know why? Because your human mind cannot comprehend it all. Somewhere along the line, people started teaching from pulpits that you could completely comprehend the mind of God and you could even tell another person what he's doing. That's called man-centered preaching. It's that emotional workup preaching that makes you think so highly of yourself that God is waiting on you to make the move. God's not waiting on any one of us for any purpose at all. Nothing he does is based upon what you and I do. There's a difference in Christ-centered preaching and man-centered preaching. Christ is preaching Christ-centered preaching. It's all about the glory of God and the glory of the Father, the glory of the Son. No mere creature could even possibly understand it all. Fallen man, even in our redeemed state, is fully incapable of fully comprehending God. We have aspects of it. I, this is a true statement. You know things about God people who are non-believers don't know about God. Your knowledge is better in some areas. Just like the person who knows a trade, a master tradesman knows much more than an apprentice, but it doesn't mean the apprentice doesn't know anything. You hope the apprentice knows something. We know some things about God. Even the lost world knows some things about God. And we have an advantage that as believers, we've been given the mind of God. We have a revealed word of God. All he wants us to know is in this book. But we don't know all that he does. But yet Christ says, he has shown me, I have such communion, such fellowship with my Father, that we know all that is being done. The Bible tells us even in 1 Peter 1, 1, 12, that even those angels, the angels did not fall, the angels that eternally worship God, they have a knowledge of God, they have an understanding of God, but to think that the angels, even that surround the throne of God, have a perfect knowledge of God would be an absolute false statement. 1 Peter 1, 12 says this, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look unto. In other words, there are things that even the angels who surround the throne of God 
marvel at not knowing, but there's also something that the angels marvel at. They marvel at what redeemed sinners know. Do you know that children of God who've been born again by the blood of Christ know more than the angels? Well, wait a minute. I thought angels were these high, holy creatures. You know what the purpose of angels are? To worship God. You don't make a big deal about the angels and somehow that they're somehow more important than you. As a matter of fact, they lack in some of the things that you and I as redeemed believers actually know. And you say, wait a minute, how can those that are in heavenly places? Well, the Bible actually teaches us that we are already seated in heavenly places. We already have a present citizenship. You have dual citizenship. You're a citizen of this world and you're also a citizen of heaven. At the same time, But we don't have perfect knowledge. We don't see all that the Father does. So if this is the case, if God could not reveal his whole mind and show us everything he's doing, if a human couldn't do it, couldn't understand, if the angels can't understand it, then who could he reveal his entire mind to? Only the Son. So only the Son knows the full mind of God because he is God. The Bible declares, and Jesus himself said, I and my Father are what? One. And again, that introduces us again to the Trinity. What we think about the Trinity. So the conclusion is very simply this. If the Father shows the Son all things that himself doeth, he must be of the same mind, he must be of the same attributes, he must be of the same perfections. He is absolutely equal in knowledge. Christ has the capacity to not only apprehend, but comprehend everything the Father does. Therefore, he's equal with God, because he is God. None but the Son could measure the Father's mind. And then here's where he says, and he will show him greater works than these. His greater works than these back in John 5. What are these greater works? He will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. Notice the order here. He, the Father, will show him, Christ, greater works than these that ye may marvel. He adds that even something more extraordinary is going to be manifested of this knowledge. What you know about Christ and what he knows now, what you see now, what you've seen him perform, you're going to see a greater manifestation of that. In other words, you're going to see something that is going to make you marvel. Now, again, he's done something marvelous already. He's healed a lame person, which, by the way, none of us can do that. You know, we could bring someone lame here today and bring them in on a hospital bed and we could do everything we wanted to. I could stand and say, I'm going to put my hand on them. I'm going to heal them. And there is nothing that I can do that will make that person get up out of that bed and walk. Now, I'm told to pray for the afflicted. I'm told to pray for the sick. The Bible even talks about a hold on Baptist. It also talks about even the anointing of oil. I've never heard of that. I, what are you talking about? That's some kind of, isn't that some kind of charismatic thing? No, it's scriptural. When someone is sick, pray for the elders. Uh-oh, Baptists, come and lay hands on Whoa, wait a minute. Now, you're overstepping the line there, preacher. We, we Baptists, we don't do any of that stuff. We could do all of that. And God could, in his perfect will, tell that person who's on that bed of affliction, okay, get up and walk. You and I didn't do it. 
And I said this a few weeks ago, if I had the ability to heal, if I could do it, I'd go to every hospital in America and I'd start at every children's hospital. That's where I'd start. I'd heal every child. Sorry adults, kids are getting first. I'd go into every wing and every children's hospital in this world and I would touch every one of those children. You're, you mean to tell me you understand the mind of God in the sicknesses of the young children? And how all that works into the plan of God? Would you dare tell a family who's got a, a little one in the hospital, this is all part of God's plan? The human mind can't comprehend that. Someone asked me, why do little kids get sick? I do not have an answer for you that's going to help you in any way, shape, or form. And by the way, it doesn't help a grieving family to say, well, God's in control. You think it's easy for a pastor to walk in a room and try to give comfort to a family who's getting ready to lose a loved one and why they want to know why is my loved one dying? And I can't give them an answer. Well, preacher, give them a few Bible verses. You'll help them. Maybe. But I can't bring comfort because I can't do what they're wanting me to do. What do they want me to do? They want me to heal. That person can't walk. They want their loved one to walk. They want someone to come in, put your hands on them and make them walk. But guess what people want about everything else? Don't let them die. Oh, my loved one's already died. Make them live again. Guess what? That's the greater work. The greater work that he's talking about is that Jesus Christ is going to do a work of bringing those who are dead back to life. Look, I'm all for a person who can get a person to walk again, but I'm really supportive of a person who can make a person live again. Especially someone who's dead in their trespasses and sins. Someone who deserves to die. Someone who actually deserves to get eternal punishment, eternal judgment. That's you and I, folks, every one of us today. And yet in Christ, we live. So that even if you draw your last earthly breath, you are going to live through Christ. He will show him greater works than these, a greater miracle than a lame man being healed at the pool of Bethesda. It's not even the greatest works. Christ had only, been, had only given a glimpse of the grace and power in which he would minister. You know, if you'd have been alive during Christ's earthly ministry, I guarantee you had word gotten out and we heard about a miracle being performed. And we would have had to hear it by word of mouth, right? It would have had to have gotten to us, hey, there's a man called Jesus who's healing people. We would have tried to get to where he was just to see it. Every one of us would have. We would have said, I want to see this man. I want to see him, act I want to see him in action. We'd do everything we could to get there. And if you would have seen it, you realize all that you would have seen during this age was just a mere glimpse of actually what he was going to do. We'd, our jaws would have dropped. We would have seen this. If we'd have been at the pool of Bethesda, if we'd have been standing there and watched this happen, we would have been like, how does that even happen? 
This man's been here for 38 years, laying by the pool, waiting for the stirring of the water. Jesus shows up and he walks. Now you tell me you wouldn't go home telling everybody about that. What about if you'd have been standing there when Jesus is standing outside of a tomb of a man by the name of Lazarus who's been dead four days? And he tells that dead man, get up. You think you were amazed before. But it gets even more amazing because not only does he raise a man to physical rebirth. By the way, Lazarus, I've always said this, Lazarus had to experience death twice. So before we all say, boy, what a glorious thing. Lazarus was dead four days and he got up and he lived again. Guess what? He died again. And the Bible actually says because of him, because of Lazarus' resurrection, people hated Christ even more. Why would you hate he which can give life? Yet there's an entire world out there that hates Christ. They hate what he stands for. Why? The Bible very clearly declares that Jesus Christ is not of all. Again, if you can understand and explain that to me in layman's terms of how that works and why that works and how the doctrines of election work and how the doctrines of predestination work and the foreknowledge of God, how all that works and appeal to my human intellect, I can tell you right now, you can't do it. You cannot humanly make me even accept the doctrine of election. You can't do it. Humanly speaking, it makes no sense to my mind. Humanly speaking, it makes absolutely no sense. Why do I believe it? Because the Bible declares it. There's a big difference in basing your faith on intellect and basing your faith on doctrine. These greater works were not just physical ailments being removed. These greater works are not just a dead man rising to walk again. This is an eternal spiritual thing he's talking about here. Remember, Christ had not yet gone to the cross. Christ had not yet been crucified. His time had not yet come, but it's coming, and that's what's being declared here. We can apprehend that today. We can apprehend, okay, I accept that Christ went to the cross. I, I, I've read about his praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've read about him being taken and how Peter uh, chopped off the ear of a man and how Jesus reached down on the ground and he picked that ear up and he put it back on. Because you see that, because you have the Bible that shows you all that. During this, they had no, they, this had not happened yet. This marvel of restoring life to the dead, we can apprehend some of these things, but can you apprehend what it really means to be raised in the newness of life and raised spiritually now acceptable before a holy God? Because your resurrection from death unto life means you are now accepted with God. To be not accepted with God is eternal torment in a place called hell. To be accepted by God is only through this Christ, equal with the Father, the only acceptable payment for your sin and my sin is Jesus Christ's blood. You could bring pockets full of money. You could bring pockets full of your offerings you've given over the years. You could bring your attendance record from the churches. You could bring your baptismal certificate. Ain't none of those things 
are going to make you acceptable to God. The only thing that's going to make you acceptable to God is He who is equal with God the Father, and that's God the Son. Apart from Christ, you have nothing. Outside of Christ, you have nothing. You can have God and not have Christ. If you don't have Christ, you have nothing. Christ equal with the Father. Christ is speaking of the splendor in which his death, his burial, his resurrection would declare that he is indeed the Son of God. He was so much more than just a carpenter. He was so much more than just a man who had a good life to follow the example of. As Hebrews teaches us, all things have been put under his feet. Even that last verse in Hebrews says, has an angel ever been mentioned to be where the enemies and everyone is under their footstool, that they're the footstool? No. Christ the Son, all are under his feet. In knowledge, Christ is equal or one with the Father. There is no creature who is capable of knowing and understanding all the ways and workings of God, but the Son knows. He was with him in the beginning. He was with him before the world was created. And yet greater things would be revealed through Christ. When we think about this love and this implication that the Son has this infinite knowledge of God, Christ's healings, were just a sign of something greater to come. One day, he's going, he would raise the dead. And guess what? When the judgment comes, when judgment comes in the last day, who is going to be seated upon that throne? Who is worthy to open the books? It's Christ. Now you could say at that moment, does that make Christ better than God the Father? No. The Holy Spirit does different works than Christ the Son does. But yet, what does, what does the Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit's job in this world today? To make known the Son. The Holy Spirit will never elevate himself as being more important than, the, than Christ himself. It's co-equal with God. What an amazing truth this is to think about in this age in which we live. There are works of God that are going on all around us. We don't fully understand them. Our knowledge is limited. We can master some earthly things, but you and I will never, ever, ever master perfect knowledge of God. But you know what? We have all the knowledge that we need. We have all that we need to be revealed in this book. You know, these books, these Bibles... They used to be people's most precious possession. There are people in countries today that if you take a Bible and you drop it and box a box of Bibles in the center of town, they will nearly, they will run over people to get them. Now you have a hard time giving Bibles away. You know why? Because knowledge of God has been replaced with knowledge of temporal things. I mean, what good is it to have a perfect knowledge of anything, earthly speaking? What, 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 what value is it? It's valuable for a few years. But guess what? Even the greatest tradesman who worked with his hands, one day his hands will stop working. And as his hands stop working, his brain will still work. He'll be able to tell someone else, now here's how you do the job that I used to do. 
But guess what's going to happen? If he keeps on living, even his mind is going to forget. One day, there are nursing homes filled with people who were once masters of what they did. Now they don't even know their family. Folks, you realize that these earthly bodies, these tabernacles, these tents, this is not what we're supposed to be living for. This isn't what we're supposed to be living for. We're supposed to be living so that God gets the glory through these lives. Now, again, is there anything wrong with temporal things and having things? Absolutely not. But if that's where your hope is found, I got a promise for you. You're guaranteed you're going to lose it all. I used to work in the investment business. And so I had to tell people, this investment comes with great risk. And what was the, how much could you lose? All of it. How much could you gain? It was unlimited. But you know how many people say, I'll take a chance with the unlimited gain. And most people found out, I just lost it all. Everything you're building, everything I'm building, everything I'm living for, everything I'm working for, you're going to lose it all, earthly speaking. There will be no trace of you and I. We will be gone. But in Christ, we'll be so much, something so much better. Something so far exceeding what any earthly things brought us. And that's only because of Christ. Jesus Christ, equal with the Father, even in knowledge.